Good morning, Todd. Good morning, Hannah. <laughs> uh, first, I would just want to start with uh, Elisa and I, if we know we're going into a really tough situation, we say to each other, I love you and I'm going to do the best I can. Um, so I just want to tell you I love you and I'm going to do the best I can. <laughs> and so, Todd, why are we here this morning? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, uh, six weeks ago, uh, we were two, our, two cong our congregation's two delegates to the Special Assembly of our Mennonite Church USA that gathered in Kansas City. There were 506 of us delegates gathered in one ballroom sitting at 77 different tables with the same seven people for three very intense and meaningful days. And by the way, uh, let me just remind us all how our Mennonite, our part of the Mennonite church family is organized. So our congregation is one of 30 congregations that makes up Atlantic Coast Conference. And then Atlantic Coast Conference and 20 other conferences make up our Mennonite Church USA family. So one Mennonite Church USA, 21 conferences, and 625 congregations. So Hannah, we were each part of a table group. Uh, you were number 19, and I was number 22. And that really ended up being one of the most significant parts of our experience. You want to share a little bit about yours? Yeah, so my table was number 19, and at my table were seven of us, and we ranged from Milwaukee to Kansas to Ohio, Mississippi, and um, a congregation just a little north of Philadelphia. Um, we had a mix of people who knew that what happened and took place could make their conference or congregation leave MCUSA to people who are very inclusive and really um, uh, advocates for inclusion. And um, when we first sat down, um, Rachel from Milwaukee said uh, what her congregation is like and just her experience at church. And we were able to start just sharing our church experiences and where our churches are at with um, LGBTQIA inclusion, um, we all got the, the sense right away that that's really going to be what we were talking about. And so it was really helpful to be able to share that I married to a woman and able to, and, and to share that my wife is going to become our pastor, um, which was really great to have out in the open right then and there, because I was a little nervous about when do I share this, how do I share this. Um, and how will it impact our table discussion. Um, so we started off, it felt like, on a really great, great place. And our table was a little messy. We had a lot of folders and papers and pens and fidget things. And um, Rachel was crocheting and, and made us all little hearts while she was there. Um, so if, if you needed organized workspace, it worked out, I think, that all of us could handle the mess that was was our table and every morning we tried to clear it a little but till the end of the day it was was very disorganized a bit like ours um, 
So what was your table uh, experience like? Yeah, our uh, table also represented the geographical and theological diversity of our Mennonite family. Uh, my table had two delegates from Ohio, two from Kansas, one from Wisconsin, one from Illinois, and I represented uh, Pennsylvania. And a special joy of our table was having two youth delegates who brought a lot of energy and vibrancy uh, to our conversations. Uh, let me just share a, a couple brief snapshots of our table group. In spite of our significant differences, we were all soon leaning in toward each other. In fact, one of the interesting things that happened is we were all wearing masks, but during the week or the weekend in Kansas City, and health professionals won't like this, but when we got to the table, we felt like we wanted to take our masks off that that had a kind of symbolic, um, we wanted to really connect with each other and to see each other fully. One pastor, uh, people started sharing about their congregations and uh, one pastor shared how in his part of Ohio, there are competing visions for Jesus right now. The Prince of Peace and also a mighty Jesus who uses violence. And he lamented that the second one, the mighty Jesus who uses violence, is more attractive than the Prince of Peace often in his context. And by the time we started to vote on resolutions, to my surprise, we were all actually encouraging one another to vote our consciences, even though we knew that that meant that we'd be voting differently. And none of this would have ever have happened if we'd sat in open seating by congregations or by congregations or conferences. And none of this especially would have happened if we'd come in by Zoom. I, I want to share one um, a story that was especially moving. Daniel S. Scott, who grew up in our church, and uh, he was the youth delegate from uh, Wisconsin. And he later told us that our table experience had renewed his faith and his commitment to the church. Though he came to uh, Kansas City with a lot of anxiety and trepidation, he said he left feeling heard, respected, and understood. And I just have to say that I left Kansas City as well with a new vision for what happens when we sit together at tables. And uh, I hope that we can continue to do table fellowship. We have some uh, gatherings coming up in our church uh, this coming year, the opportunity to sit down together uh, at tables. And as I've shared with some of you, uh, my hope someday is that maybe our Mennonite logo would be changed from a dove to a picture of a table, because that's where Christ really happens for many of us. So Hannah, oh, it's your question. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to discuss the resolutions. Uh, Todd, could you share a little bit about the accessibility resolution? Yeah, good question. Um, 
So, you know, there were four resolutions that came before uh, the delegate body. And I think one of the golden threads in each of them was trying to remove barriers to belonging. And the first one that we, uh, or the one first one that we'd like to share with you about today is about accessibility for those with disabilities. And this resolution called on our churches to remove these barriers to belonging in architecture, in communications, in the way that we do church together. And uh, it was passed unanimously by the uh, delegate body. And one of the takeaways that uh, I think we're bringing home with us to East Chestnut is uh, for us to do an audit of our own facilities here at this church, and an audit also of how we do church together to remove these hidden barriers among us. Hannah, do you want to talk about the justice resolution? So the justice resolution was not one that was voted on. It was just brought to the table and discussed as uh, a topic of discussion for MCUSA to have um, in, the, in the coming years to commit to studying um, about the legal, the criminal and legal system and to advocate for reform like ending cash bail, ending mandatory minimum sentencing, and reduce police violence. So there wasn't actually anything passed but a commitment to, to studying. Todd, do you wanna talk about the membership guidelines? Yeah, in this uh, resolution, the delegate body uh, voted very decisively to retire our denomination's 20-year-old uh, guidelines, which uh, prohibited pastors from performing same-sex LGBTQ weddings. And there was broad agreement that the conferences, instead of the denomination, should be given the space now to make these decisions for themselves. And uh, interestingly, this passed by 83%. So a very strong, there was a strong consensus in the delegate body to set aside uh, these membership guidelines. So Hannah, the real uh, light and heat came from the next one, the last one, uh, the Repentance and Transformation Resolution. And you wanna say something about that? Yeah, so we spent a lot of time discussing this resolution. First, we had to vote to discuss to vote on the resolution, which, <laughs> I'm not an expert in, in church polity, but uh, it was a good learning experience for me. And there were also, so the resolution uh, used a lot of strong language. It talked about not just retiring the guidelines, but rescinding them um, and confessing that, that there has been great harm done to the queer community. When I say queer community, it's also in place of the LGBTQIA, uh, we were using uh, queer community just because it saved time with all of the letters. Um, and it was committing to actions of repair at the denominational level um, and, by, and 
in a lot of ways, one forming a queer, uh, a queer group to help with leadership council and developing resources and materials. Um, there was also talk of amending the resolution and so there was a group trying to essentially pull out certain language in the resolution. The resolutions committee had said no, that it does not hold up the integrity of the resolution and so that was not brought forward. So what we voted on was what was presented. Um, and it, it passed by 56% uh, and um, when I'm going to stop there because I'll get into other things. So, well, you know, uh, Hannah, uh, folks had many, many different responses to this uh, resolution, especially when they first read it. And I'm just curious, how did how did it feel to you when you first read it? When I first read it, I actually read it about three or four times and was asking Elisa, "What do you think this is actually saying? What are they meaning?" And I could really identify with, with the hurt um, and read it as, as um, people wanting change because of hurt that has been done. Um, but also reading it, I could see that there was a lot of strong language. I could see a lot of people becoming very defensive um, and also uh, not wanting the change. Um, it, was, it was a moment of you listen to comedians and they can have funny bits and drop this, you know, nugget of advocacy and have funny bits and it's like, oh yeah, we think about this. Um, but for it to be proposed to the church body, um, I just wasn't sure how it was, how it was going to go. Uh, it wasn't something that I've learned to how to communicate to people and, and have a good response, um, but was kind of happy maybe someone was had the courage to share uh, what, had, what, what it is like to be a, a queer person in the church. When, when you read it, how did, how did you feel? Yeah, um, I, I heard someone say something really interesting. They said, the first time I read the Repentance and Transformation Resolution, I found it very abrasive. And the second time I read it, I found it rather truthful. And the third time I read it, I found it rather compelling. And uh, I think uh, that was closer to my own experience. It took a few readings to take it in. But at the same time, uh, I heard people at our table who said, I read it the first time, I found it abrasive. I read the second time, I found it abrasive. And I read it the third time, and I found it abrasive. So we were all together at tables together in the, in the same room experiencing this in different ways. I think, Hannah, uh, being a pastor, I um, kept hoping that a pastoral version of this resolution would come up. Uh, this resolution that passed with 56% was a very prophetic document, and I felt a pastoral document might have uh, gotten a larger part of the, uh, the body together. And many people today are asking that the way, will the way that we chose to widen the circle end up actually drawing our Mennonite circle smaller in the end? 
and by causing more conservative congregations and maybe even a conference or two to leave. Still for me, I felt that the most significant thing that happened maybe was not the resolution itself, but the way that it got us Mennonites talking about the harm that has been done to queer folks, to our queer siblings in the church. And uh, I just have to say that whether one was traditional or conservative or middle of the road or progressive, at our tables, we were all talking about this, all admitting harm and that repair needs to be done. And uh, I mean, honestly, five years ago, that kind of conversation never would have happened. But there we were talking about these things uh, freely together. So a, a good portion of our time was at the tables and was very meaningful. We also had some open mic times. Um, would you explain a little bit of, and how that felt? Yeah, so we were gathered at tables and then after our table conversation we could go to the mic. And those mic times often had a very different dynamic. You know, in our, at our tables we were leaning in, listening carefully, but then, you know, you, you get to the open mics and you start sort of pontificating. But still it was uh, uh, an important way for us to hear what was going on at other tables. And uh, Hannah, I'm curious, your personality, did you go to the open mic? I did not go to the <laughs> I would never dream of it. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, me neither, I, I, even though I love pontificating, so. <laughs> Um, so worship in the ballroom was just a, a very powerful experience of God's presence with us. And you want to say a little bit about the singing? Yes, we uh, sang obviously before and after worship. We also sang while votes were being counted. Um, if there felt like a really tense moment, we were singing. Um, we sang Be Still and Know many, many, many times that weekend. Um, we also sang Wide in the Circle quite a bit. Um, and that, that song felt very important and meaningful, but I also could see how widening, widening and closing the circle could, could feel different for, for people in, in the room. Um, but it felt like the most meaningful time where we all could be together and, and really worship together in, in song. Um, we also heard two scriptures this morning. Could you share a little bit about why we chose those? those yeah, scriptures? well, uh, two people, um, Sarah Ann Bixler, the Associate Dean at Eastern Mennonite Seminary, and Melinda Berry, the, who's a professor at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary, were, had the unenviable task of preaching the sermon on the morning after the day with these two very intense and nerve-wracking votes. And uh, we all went to worship just wondering, what are these two dear sisters going to say to us? 
And you may have noticed that in both of the passages that Sharon read for us today, the, uh, the presence of weeping and rejoicing, of uh, laughter and tears uh, are mentioned. And Melinda uh, said something very powerful, and I'd like to just read uh, three or four of the sentences that she shared with us. She compared our Mennonite family to a neighborhood. Neighborhoods, she said, let us live together and be different at the same time. Our MCUSA neighborhood is now changing. And some of those changes I feel grateful for, and some of them make me feel really, really afraid. There's new construction going on and for sale signs being put on people's lawns. Some house, houses have their blinds drawn, shut, and some others have open windows with music pouring out of them trying to get a dance party going. And then she said this, I want to live peacefully with all of you and I need you to like me just the way I am. And then she said, quoting Fred Rogers, please, won't you still be my neighbor? So Hannah, as the dust has settled, after, has the dust settled? <laughs> uh, we, we're six weeks later, right? And uh, what have been some of the significant takeaways for you? Some of the significant takeaways have been seeing some resources already um, coming out for um, Pride even and, and the queer community. Um, uh, a significant takeaway has been keeping in touch with my table group members, um, seeing where they are. Um, some are just starting the conversation. Some are deciding if they're staying with MCUSA. Um, but it, that time and being with those people were, it was a very meaningful experience. Um, and I also took away that I am not an expert in church polity. I have gained a, a respect and understanding of, of the importance for helping us be together. Um, and I've also taken away that it is, it is hard to love each other well. How about your takeaways? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I already mentioned that I think it was a watershed moment where uh, folks across the theological spectrum were having these uh, conversations together. And I think uh, another thing that was expressed at the, uh, at the gathering was the deep hope that after spending decades and decades talking about uh, matters of, of uh, inclusion, that we might also now turn our attention to some of the existential issues before our human family right now. Things like racism and poverty and uh, climate change. So I'm hoping that this releases some new energy in the church. Do you want to say anything about, uh, or 
I guess that was mine, wasn't it? <laughs> We're not doing good well with our cues here. Um, uh, I'm just sure where, where we kind of are now. Um, ACC has put out a statement on kind of their take of the, the repentance resolution. Um, my sense is still a sense of tension and that there, um, during an open mic time, Roberta had shared that if, if the resolution passes, we have work to do. If it doesn't pass, we have work to do. Um, and it definitely feels like there is still work to do. And um, the, the tension for me is, um, and a big part of the tension was now being able to kind of have permission to be at the table um, might make congregations, even conferences, leave MCUSA. Um, and that, that was really difficult to process. And um, before the vote, our table just even sat just quiet together and, and felt that this yes, no vote really, um, it, it, didn't, it didn't feel, feel great. Um, and um, during our, our one table group time, there were little cards with feelings and we all had about five or six feeling words and we would have a five minutes, see which word stuck out to us and pass them around. Um, and so I think after leaving that, I think I'm still parsing through all of the feelings and, and maybe why I'm, I'm feeling that way. Um, so I, I leave you with not necessarily a, a resolution, but, but more tension and, and there's work to be done in MCUSA. I think that's a good place to end. It's been a joy uh, sharing this table with you and uh, being with you in Kansas City as well, Hannah. Mm -hmm. Thank you.